Hello, and welcome to The Money Movement. I'm joined here today with the co-founder and CEO of Candy, Scott Lowen. Very, very excited to have you here. And obviously, you guys have had a, a major year in the last year and some significant launches and a lot coming into the new year. So just first, just really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Jeremy. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, look, you know, I think for our listeners, I'm always interested just to hear a little bit about you know, your own journey, that kind of what brought you here kind of thing. And before kind of delving into, into Candy, maybe just talk a little bit about kind of how you got to this space and what sort of drew you to the space at a really high level. Yeah, absolutely. My journey, not to go too far back, actually started out in the design side. Of, I was an architect from MIT. I made a left turn into finance I spent a uh, long career, 27 years in finance, kind of split between banking and uh, asset management businesses, and then found my way to the crypto space in, in 2016. And you know, I think initially my interest in, in blockchain was, was really driven by my, my finance career, which had always sort of been at the intersection of uh, creating new products and new markets and thinking about you know how financial technology changed the way that people invested in you know economic structures financing structures etc and so blockchain obviously predated 2016 sort of heard about it talked a bit about it with uh, folks up at MIT and had been following the space really to try to understand in uh, financial services what, what was blockchain going to mean and you know obviously on one hand you had uh, Bitcoin the idea of store of value a new digital currency, this whole structure of decentralization and what that meant in, you know, ultimately a, a global financial marketplace with with significant intermediaries. And then you had smart contracts and sort of the promise of being able to code transactions and eliminate a number of different intermediaries and steps along the way. And so just purely from a, a financial services and a fintech perspective, that was really where I where I dove into the space. 2016 obviously was a, a sort of wild time in the ICO space and spent time, you know, looking at that really around an alternative financing mechanism, trying to get my head around how people were, were raising tens and hundreds of millions of dollars on the back of a white paper, figuring out whether that was sustainable or not. And then ultimately coming from a regulated securities industry, what, what would this ultimately mean as the marketplace got bigger? And always with an eye to, you know, what were the things that were going to start to bring more people and capital into the space, both from a user perspective, as well as from an investor perspective. And so, you know, obviously we sort of lived through what happened in, in 2017 and the, you know, the, the first significant run in crypto assets. And then, you know, the, the beginning of the winter in uh, 2018, obviously that's when a lot of the real work started. and. The fast money and the folks who, you know, sort of saw the passing fad turned their attention back to what they were doing. But that was really that first phase of bringing people into the space and really starting to build the infrastructure that, you know, that we're now sort of taking to the next level, you know, today. Yeah. You know, that was kind of how I, I got into the space. You know, broadly, my business partner, Mike Novogratz, folks may know is the, you know, the founder of Galaxy Digital. Mike and I were business partners at Goldman Sachs and at Fortress Investment Group. And so, you know, as Mike built Galaxy and really became, you know, one of the leading voices in telling the story 
of blockchain and what it would mean for a broader group of investors, institutional investors around the world to start to, you know, credentialize and, and legitimize the space, you know, I started to get more involved with him and his team. And that really led us to, to 2020 as we were thinking about outside of cryptocurrency and DeFi, you know, what were the paths to more mass market adoption of, of blockchain and, and distributed ledger? And so, you know, thinking about art, obviously, a number of the projects in the NFT space had already been instituted in the art space, thinking about music, thinking about popular culture and thinking about sports. Sports made a tremendous amount of sense for us to kind of lean into billions of global fans, passionate fan communities, not dissimilar from the passion in the crypto space. And then a sports collectibles business that had has been around for decades and frankly on the on the back of the pandemic had kind of been turbocharged as yeah. people, you know, dusted off the items in their attic, et cetera. And so that was really what ended up uh, catalyzing the partnership between Galaxy Digital and Fanatics that has become candy. That's awesome. I didn't realize how long you'd been exploring and also just the kind of fuller backdrop with Mike as well. As you know, I've gotten to know Mike over the years. Yep. You know, Circle does a fair amount of work with Galaxy on different things too. That's awesome. I think maybe kind of drilling in and, and zooming in a little bit on that. I mean, obviously that infrastructure build out that started happening in 2018 and 2019 was very real. I mean, that you know, 2018 is when we launched USDC and it's sort of the early projects were these early DeFi projects and others. And, and then as we you know, built like APIs around it and trying to help create that bridge between the the fiat world and and this pure world. You know, it was early NFT projects and other things that were sort of trying to figure out how do you how do you make these consumer ready experiences, but still be natively on chain and and natively in digital currency. And I think this this whole as you described right at the end there this this whole phenomenon of existing major categories of culture and and intellectual property kind of converging with this is at the heart of of what's taking place in in a lot of these maybe tell a little bit more on the on the origin story on candy itself obviously you've given the backdrop of sort of you found your way there with fanatics and and so on but you catalyzed a lot relatively quickly and put together i think a, you know significant strategic partnerships to get this off the ground, presumably there's a big vision behind it all with the amount of capital you've raised and what you're trying to do. But maybe a little bit, if you're willing to share a little bit more on kind of the overall kind of mission and vision of Candy as it came together with, with your strategic partners, and then maybe we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So if I, if I go back to, you know, kind of that spark of taking the blockchain and crypto DNA from Galaxy and marrying it with the 83 million sports customers that Fanatics has on the e-commerce side. The thesis originally really was to say, okay, let, let's look broadly at the collectibles business, right? There's a physical collectibles business. There's this sort of burgeoning fractional physical collectibles business, right? Sort of stock market of things. And then there's obviously a digital collectibles business. And so, you know, where should blockchain live in that continuum of, you know, I can own a Mickey Mantle card, I can own a share of a phys physical Mickey Mantle card, and then I can own a digital asset that might be the authentication token of that Mickey Mantle card. It might be an NFT of that card, or it may be have some other utility related to it, right? So that, that was really the broad business model that we looked at. 
that was really, as I said, sort of at the back end of, of 2020, as we were thinking about, you know, what was the path going to be in this space to sort of introduce digital assets to folks and understanding, you know, a lot of the challenges around opening, you know, setting up a digital wallet, connecting your bank to it, funding it with Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera. And, and knowing that, you know, for the average consumer who wasn't yet a, you know, sort of a crypto believer, that wasn't necessarily a smooth process. And so really thinking about how, how could we build, um, you know, what we think of in many ways as a digital content consumer products company uh, that lives on a robust blockchain infrastructure. And so how could we provide a fiat first experience that that folks were already familiar with to bring them into the space for the first time and then introduce them to this world, provide that functionality on the back end. And so that that was sort of a big vision of how we wanted to approach the space. And as we went out in the beginning of, of 2021 and started having those conversations, that was right around the time when the NBA Top Shot product from Dapper, you know, sort of went asymptotic with the, you know, the next rise in crypto prices, when you had the Beeple auction that got the world's attention yeah. for the you know, uh, highest price for living artist, and you had, you know, down to the SNL skit, right, where suddenly now kind of proved the thesis that sports in many ways was a gateway drug for a lot of people, certainly the media, to start to pay attention to the space. And, you know, our conversations, you know, rapidly went to educating the, the leagues, teams and athletes on, you know, A, what is blockchain? Everyone had heard about it, but, you know, really understanding, you know, how does a blockchain function? What does it actually mean? What does it mean to have tokenized ownership of an asset? What are NFTs? How can you, you know, differentiate between the JPEG you can copy a million times and the, the unique ownership of a tokenized NFT? And then ultimately, not just what was the, what felt like the near-term commercial opportunity as prices were going crazy, but really the fan engagement opportunity. And I think that's the other kind of core thesis of what Candy is, is looking to do is certainly build a sustainable commercial business where we can partner with world-class intellectual property and content owners and create authentic versions, authentic products for fans but also find really new and interesting ways to engage those fans. Our first partnership, which we announced when we announced the formation of the company, is with, with Major League Baseball, where they're exclusive provider of, of digital assets in the space. And certainly one of the key objectives is to continue to you know, create a series of products and experiences that speak to that next generation of fans. So that's a core part of our mission. I want to dig into that, the, as I like to say, the utility value of NFTs as well. I have a, a dirty little secret. It's not that. It's not really dirty, actually. <laughs> I have a little factoid, which is my first company was when I was 14 years old. It was called Alaire Sports Cards. And I got really into, into baseball cards. And I was really into attempting to use, essentially, statistics. Bill James was a famous guy who wrote about forecasting, you know, sports forecasting players, all this stuff. So anyway, I ran a trading business and, and had actually helped pay for college with collectibles and with the, the incredible interest that, that existed there. And uh, it's sort of interesting now when, when I kind of look at that and think back at that. And I, yes, I have huge amounts of baseball cards still. <laughs> I was interested to see the, the tops news that was recent and imagining how that could play out, obviously as well over time. But I guess like, you know, kind of drilling in more into that, that fan engagement side of this, 
you know, we're, it seems like we're still really in the early stages of how these credentials, right? Uh, the ownership of a collectible or the ownership of, of digital IP is a form of credential. And that credential, you know, as digital wallets proliferate and people can present credentials more easily, you know, what does that unlock for people, whether online or offline? And do you feel like the leagues and the teams and the and the stadiums and the players and like, do they get that? Do they get that this isn't just like, hey, I'm really popular and I'm gonna people are gonna want to buy a digital collectible, but but do they see this as a change in the tooling in a sense for affinity and engagement, right? Which is really different than digital media itself, right? I came out of the digital media world, spent years and years in, in that. It's very different than that and conveys this, this other form of ownership. So I'm just really curious to hear how forward thinking you think people are on that. And what do you think some of the lowest hanging fruit is going to be in kind of unlocking the credential power, the utility value of these NFTs? I think the broad answer is, yeah, absolutely. I think the leagues get that. I think they see great promise in that the path with which, you know, that ultimately rolls out and connects is the thing that, you know, I think we're all trying to figure out. We started out with our first products over the course of last summer, really kind of saying, hey, everything that we're going to do is going to have some element of digital only, of digital physical and digital experiential as a bridge to, you know, where, where we see at least our product set going, which will start to cross that divide and have utility, you know, in the case of baseball, when you're at the stadium or yeah. when you're watching the game, our kind of first broad uh, project with major league baseball, we called our stadium series. We partnered with uh, a digital artist S Preston. We took, he had done a series of kind of minimalist pieces of each of the stadiums we worked with each of the, the baseball teams then to you know, create not just sort of the digital asset that we sold, but a package of a unique experience for a one-of-one -one auction. And so in some cases, that might have been throwing the first pitch out at a game. It could have been a VIP tour. It could have been you know, tickets to the game. And each, each club got an opportunity to, to kind of curate that the way that they wanted to. That was a really important project for us because it did two things. One, it took us from the conversation and relationship at the league level down to the teams very directly. Yeah. It gave us yeah. an opportunity to understand for all of the, the different clubs in baseball, where each club was in terms of their excitement, in terms of their knowledge base, and in terms of kind of their willingness to lean into the product and figure out what that engagement was going to look like. Because ultimately, you know, Major League Baseball has, you know, broad objectives as a league and a sport, but these are local teams, right? These are local cities local communities. And so what's really important is figuring out what resonates there. And, you know, we figured out which teams fans leaned more into you know, our first products and which clubs were the most excited to engage. And so we're, we're going to take that experience and that knowledge. And as we go into the 2022 season, knock on wood, once the, the lockout ends, we'll take it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah, just like digital media, right? Like there's sort of digital rights and IP licensing. And, you know, this is sort of this in that bucket for sure. It sort of falls into that. But then there's this whole overlay of like sports franchises and rights and entitlements and sponsorships. And, it, and you know, in crypto, obviously we're seeing like big crypto companies coming in, buying rights to this, that, you know, like 
we've been pitched, you know, get the Jersey patch or whatever the hell, you know, all these things. And it kind of gets confusing at, to some degree, like who, who gets to determine like, you know, what shows up for fans in a stadium for what they can do with what's in their, on their mobile phone at the stadium. Like, how does that get played? How do those rights and entitlements and all the diverse pockets of capital and incentives and all this stuff, how, how does that, how does that play out? Are they going to be battling our Coinbase and FTX and Candy are going to be battling over certain things happening in stadiums or, or is it, I'm just, I'm very interested to hear your perspective on this because just it's fascinating to watch crypto and sports and the kind of activity that's happening there because it's clearly quite, you know, activated. Yeah, listen, it, it's not surprising, right? Others have focused on the same thing we did, which is sports is a great venue to connect with billions of people. Each league is different in the way that, you know, the leagues structure their rights and their approach to this space. So in, in the case of Major League Baseball, they had had some previous experience in the crypto space, actually, through some games that they developed. You know, they are one of the most kind of forward-thinking leagues in terms of technology around some of the media properties they developed, uh, the ML BAM business, et cetera. And so, you know, they had kind of been through the journey in, in different iterations and said, hey, you know, we're really interested in building a business together. And, you know, not fractionalizing all, fractionalizing all of our rights and having competing products, but building this in a cohesive way. Other leagues have taken a different approach, and, you know, either by default. You know, I think when Dapper and the NBA got together, neither party uh, had a perspective of, of how big that product was going to get so yeah. quickly. It's obviously been a great result for, for both. And, you know, now they're thinking about where it goes from there. Other leagues are taking, a, you know, a much more surgical approach to say, hey, we're going to take a broad set of rights. We're going to slice this this one for this party, this one for another party. I think when we we dial it back, just to, to your question, right, we sort of see three buckets. We see what I'll call kind of the exchange and the platform players mm-hmm. who are frankly in a different business than us, right? If you're an exchange, you're trying to buy eyeballs and you want as many people, as many consumers to see your name. And as they start to cross that divide and get involved in the space, you want them to be buying and selling crypto on your platform. You you want them to be connecting your wallets, et cetera. So those are big advertising dollars. That's stadium sponsorships. It's umpire patches. It's things like that. Now, those deals are big dollar deals and they're trying to take put as much in the, in the bucket as they can. And so they're trying to capture some NFT rights there as well, even though it's not their core business. The, the second, I would say, is kind of the product players. You know, these are folks who have an existing NFT product in the market. It's been successful for them. And they're going to look to create that same product in another league or with another content partner. And so they're they're zeroing in on a specific set of rights and you know willing to pay up to continue to kind of mint that product across different verticals. And then I, I think our approach to the market, which is you know, maybe a variation on the second one, is you know, what we think of as more of an ecosystem play, which is to say, hey, we're really focused on the community. So who are the community of baseball fans or, or, you know, our other sort of partnership with the NASCAR Cup teams, racing fans? What does it mean to be a fan and a collector of that sport? And how can we create a series of products that enhance that experience, some of which will be pure collectibles, some of which will have utility, some of which will be high value, some of which will be, you know, low value kind of fun tradable things. 
and then be creating that destination so that if, you know, again, in the case of Major League Baseball, if you're a baseball fan, there isn't a one size fits all to what it means to be a fan, what you want to collect, whether it's cards or memorabilia or moments, et cetera. So let's create a suite of products that can talk to all those different fans at different places in their journey. Right. Yeah. It's um, that crossover between all these different mediums, if you will, is, is a big piece if you're really building something, a kind of a franchise out in a, in a, in a deep way. I'm interested just again on this sort of question of like the utility of, of NFTs. What do you think becomes possible a year from now, two years from now, if you're a, a token holder, so to speak? What kind of rights do you think that conveys or other kinds of experiences does that unlock? I think, you know, the rights issue is an interesting one, right? I, you know, I, I think obviously there's a lot of a lot of focus around the rights that get conveyed around like a, a Bored Apes project or things like that, and the ability for owners to commercialize those assets. Mm-hmm. That's more challenging when you're dealing with, you know, leagues and, and licensed intellectual property rather than sort of original content. And so I don't necessarily see at least the things that we're doing in the sports space moving in that direction. What I do see is, as you pointed out, right, this one-to-one relationship with a fan and an owner really mm-hmm. starting to take on greater value. So, you know, what what we're planning and, you know, what we can see in the future is that, you know, if you're an owner of a particular NFT or a particular set of NFTs, when you're at the stadium, uh, and you and you check in, right? That unlocks a unique experience for you. Right. Or because you've collected a certain set, you might be airdropped a particular NFT. Given some of the features that we're baking into ours, the NFTs, even if you're not at the stadium, can start to provide utility because they've got dynamic data. And so, if you're if you're a fan of Fernando Tatis. And you've got his NFT every time he plays a game, you know, his batting average, his home runs, his stolen bases get updated. And so your NFT actually tracks that player's performance and reflects his performance and the team's performance and can change over time and potentially become more valuable. Right. And so having the digital asset become a bridge to the real life experience, providing something unique and rewarding you for your participation by going to the game, or even frankly, sitting at home and watching the game, there's ways to, to sort of reward that participation and that support. So, so we definitely see those elements of it. I think one of the interesting things as well is as you move from league and team to player, depending upon how products get structured, you're starting to see the beginning of what's kind of the next generation of fan club, right? That level of interaction and the ability for a player to actually interact and speak directly with the owners of his or her mm-hmm. NFTs, whether that's in a Discord server, whether it's a you know a video chat or potentially a you know a, a sort of private message system, mm-hmm. I think that starts to get really interesting as well. Yeah, for sure. I had a couple of related questions, which is I forget the NBA athlete, but basically tokenized uh, their future income stream. I'm trying to was I forget who that was, but. I, I don't know much about the contracts that, that players have with MLB teams and how that works, but do you see, yeah, and this is maybe outside of, outside of candy, obviously, but, or, or maybe not, but, but do you see, you know, kind of the financialization and tokenization of player, you know, sort of player futures in a sense, right? Player future cap, future income, that kind of thing. Do you think that's real or do you think that's sort of a sideshow or, or not, not really likely to take hold? 
I think it's something people have have thought about and tried to structure around even before the advent of blockchain, right? You know, there are there are funds out there that take financial stakes in people's future performance. You know, I would say in like dot com 1.0, there were businesses that were, you know, lending money to kids coming out of school to pay their loans, right, in exchange for future earnings. And so whether it's on a blockchain or whether it's I heard that's called SoFi. (laughs) (laughs) Through a securities offering, I don't think that thing is necessarily new. I do think the idea of tokenized communities and finding a way to reward fans and early supporters for their, you know, for their engagement, not necessarily, you know, by saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give you 10% of my future earnings because that's a security right now, but, you know, getting people in early and then as distribution, popularity, engagement rises, having the value of those tokens go up. I think you're going to see more of that. Maybe that's the music, maybe it's an art, but that's an idea that has legs. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of kind of the marketplace side of this, I mean, I think you've alluded to this a little bit, which is obviously a big part of what's driving the NFT market is the fact that you've got open marketplaces where people are trading, right? And, you know, floor price is what everyone's paying attention to and what's sort of happening with that. And and you certainly see that as well. And I know you guys just opened up your marketplace. And so sort of two-part question. One, you know, what are you seeing taking place in the marketplace? What role do you see the marketplace playing for collectors? It hasn't really, I mean, look, I used to go to baseball card shows and, and trade baseball cards and that was the marketplace, right? I haven't kept up with whatever happens online. So forgive me, I'm out of date on all that. But what is the role of the marketplace? And then the second part of the question, which is the other big piece of what makes NFTs so unique, no pun intended, is that they're interoperable, right? They're built on standards and they're interoperable on blockchains, which conveys upon one the ability to theoretically like self-custody, go bring across different digital wallets, bring across different venues and marketplaces. And that portability and interoperability is so fundamental. I mean, the technology, it provides, it conveys technology capabilities that makes it possible for people to say build apps that can enter that where, you know, the credential you have in a wallet could present itself and that's useful. But the actual digital asset itself and its ability to move from one marketplace to another and, and that, is that part of your vision over time? How do you think about that today? So a lot in that question, I realize, and we can break it apart however, however you want. Yeah, great questions. I, I, I think, you know, from our perspective, the thing that we're the most focused on, at least as we start out on this journey, is providing a really sort of cohesive customer experience. And so our thesis is, right, if, if Candy is going to be, you know, the institutional grade partner to, you know, these kind of world-class content owners and IP owners, and we're going to create only officially licensed product using those media assets. The experience that we want to provide is a place where customers can go and see the primary product, see content and community that's there supporting, right, that primary product and, and the sport and the team and the athlete, and then a secondary market as well right? That's a cohesive experience. So that if you're a collector, right? And if you just look at kind of our alpha product, our icon uh, digital trading cards, 
we had 81 all-stars and 30 prospects at the end of last season in October. We released those in blind packs. Uh, there was a limited number of packs. Not everyone who wanted packs could get packs. We opened up our secondary marketplace, and that's now the opportunity for collectors to complete their set, right? So what we saw in the first you know, kind of uh, week or so here is a lot of activity of folks who were excited to you know, find the cards that they hadn't purchased yet. New folks who were coming into the space, they missed out on that first drop. Now they've got an opportunity to own something. And then, as I as I mentioned, all, all of our products have uh, like a collector challenge or a reward structure baked into there. So, you know, some of the same things that, you know, drove you as a kid to start your business and drove me as a kid to collect and trade cards. There's kind of the thrill of the chase. There's, you know, this idea of being able to complete your set, whether it's for personal reasons or because you think it's going to be more valuable over time. And so, creating that kind of cohesive ecosystem of primary market, community, content, and secondary market. That's what we're focused on today. Over time, you know, to answer your question, ultimately, you know, we think that there's going to be cross-chain solutions that are out there, right, that make it relatively easy either as a consumer to choose which chain you mint on, right, or to easily, you know, bridge or swap your token to a different chain. And so, you know, we mint on Palm. And, you know, for us, it was really important that we choose a a token connected to the Ethereum ecosystem. I think it's challenging for us to try to sell $10, $20 items on, you know, on Ethereum mainnet, given where gas costs are. But we wanted to, you know, be part of the ecosystem on a side chain where gas is effectively zero, transaction speed is high, and environmental footprint is low. With the idea that it's going to be very easy for folks to bridge to Ethereum, and ultimately, as you know, Ethereum itself evolves, we start to see more convergence. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think you'll get MLB or or other partners that you have comfortable with the idea of? of kind of open loop uh, digital asset exchange for collectibles. Like if Coinbase has a huge or OpenSea or whoever has these venues, like the idea that, you know, you go, you take your, what you bought here and go over there and third, third party marketplaces. I mean, uh, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I, I think philosophically, right. Our, our view is NFTs want to be free. And, you know, I don't mean from a price perspective, right? Sure, but, you, sure, you know, sure. at, yeah. as a user, you you want that transportability. You want to be able to self-custody. You want to have it in cold storage, et cetera. And so it really comes down to making sure that the, you know, the protocols and the agreements are in place, the security is in place, and that, you know, ultimately we can see a world where that bridge works in, in two directions, right? Yeah. You know, if we there will be... NFTs that are really interesting and desirable that aren't necessarily officially licensed, but may have a home in the baseball ecosystem, right? And so yeah. we want to be able to, to see both things happen. Yeah, yeah. We're very focused on, you know, trying to use all this kind of public chain infrastructure to bring more and more mainstream applications online. It's like a philosophically a very big piece of what we're about. And like USDC itself is just trying to bring give the dollar the superpowers of the internet, give it all the powers of digital currency. And, you know, I think with, with NFTs and, and that vision and getting rights holders to ultimately be comfortable, it seems like there's some missing pieces, identity or mechanisms for identity become important, right? So that ownership has meaning 
in the context of a, of, of a customer or whatnot or other things? Are there things that you think about given how long you've been in the space as well? Like, are there, are there building blocks that you think are critical missing pieces at a user experience level, at an infrastructure level? We talked about sort of scalability, cost efficiency, energy efficiency. That's clearly one. But are there other things that you see as really critical to unlocking this? I mean, we all talk about how do we get to a billion users? What are the apps that get to a billion users? And and everyone now sees it's going to happen, right? But what are, what do you see as the as the critical you know things that are needed to help get us there? Yeah, I think I mean, listen, just from a product perspective, right? As a as a kind of a licensee writer on behalf of my partners, I, th- I think standardization across different marketplaces and exchanges, particularly as it relates to royalties, right? Um, just from a purely commercial perspective, you know, right, right now there are one-off conversations and agreements if assets move, you know, in different marketplaces. There needs to become a you know standard language and a standard protocol to allow that free flow a lot more directly. And then, you know, some of it's just the evolution of the technology. So, you know, I, I talked about some of the features, you know, that we're working on, some of the experiential or the dynamic features. You know, we know in our ecosystem, those features will all be functional. Not all of those, if you took your asset off of Candy's platform onto Ethereum mainnet, would function quite the same way, right? And so there's some of that is a benefit to being part of the candy ecosystem, right? If you if you hold your asset there and trade it there, you, you get the full benefit. Ultimately, we want to see those features be transposable across any chain, right? And so I, I think our approach to the space here is we're not going to be successful by leading the way on, you know, a cross-chain solution or a, you know, a multi-chain protocol, but we want to be really thoughtful and working with all the different parties, you know, broadly to think about how that comes together. Yeah, now we're all all definitely tuned into that. We're doing a lot with multi-chain USDC and envisioning. You know, you want portability, scalability, interoperability. Like all, all of these are the promises, right? I'm I'm originally an internet tech guy, and that's sort of what has got me interested in all this. Awesome. Well, Scott, this is um, it's been a really good conversation. Congrats on where you guys have have gotten to here. I know this is going to be a huge year for you. New seasons, new partners, new products. I think. We're all really interested to see how these phenomena start extending out beyond just the crypto land, as it were, and extending out more broadly. And, and you're, you're very much at the forefront of that. So we're excited to see what you guys continue to build. Well, thanks. We're really excited about it and thankful for the partnership with Circle. And I think we, we see where this whole space is going in a very similar way. So glad to be on the journey together. Absolutely. No doubt. Looking forward to the next year. Well, Scott, thanks for uh, joining us here on the Money Movement today. All right. Have a great day. Thanks. 